All right, all right. Fist bump three people. Y'all know we got to be involved. That's it. And smile while you do it. Hey, we only get to live this life once. We only get to go on this journey once. So let's be excited about it. Hey, uh, man, man, oh, man. Uh, it's an awesome day to be here today, guys, uh, in an air-conditioned room. Am I right? Praise God. Y'all, that's fine. We'll cut the air off next week. It'll be good. It'll be real hot in here. We'll feel the, we'll feel the, the fiery Holy Spirit. We'll be rocking and rolling. Well, here's the thing that we've been walking through over these past few weeks, and we're going to continue on. Actually, we just started it last week and walking forward. These next few weeks is this thing called the good work. All right, we've been rallying around this verse, which is Ephesians 2.10, and I'll tell you where to get in your Bible here in a moment, but you'll see Ephesians 2.10 on the screen, and we're going to rally around this verse, and it's this, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, what's crazy is so many times we don't think that we were created for a good work, do we? Maybe we do, but we think that it's so big and it's so extraordinary that it has to be just this monumental thing that we miss the very good work God's put right in front of us, right? Like most of the time, believe it or not, the good work God has given us to do, the purpose, the thing that we're called to more than anything is right in front of us, literally right in front of us. So we're going to talk about today how we can continue to lean in to this unique calling God has for us because believe it or not, it's unique. And we each play a specific role in it, but we're all working toward the same thing. So today, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be hanging out in a familiar story in Matthew 25. But it's going to take a minute for me to get there, so hang in there with me. If you've got your Bible, get to Matthew 25, and we'll start, we'll start rocking and rolling in that, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 14 there. But before that, I just kind of want us to talk about this. If you would like a Bible, we have them free for the asking in the garden, if you would like to do that. Maybe you're watching online or you like to do things digitally, kind of like all of us do these days. Um, if you would like to follow along with us on the Bible app, I love that we get to partner with them each and every week. And I'm going to show you real quick because we have an awesome team who's going to do that on the Bible app, how you can follow along with us. Go ahead and download it. Uh, and what you're going to do is you're going to open it up by clicking on the More tab. Click on Events. You're going to see the Vine TV worship experience, and you're going to see today's message, uh, and you'll see today's message, the right intention found there. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bible app or open up your Bible to Matthew 25, uh, and what we're going to continue to do today is talk about this unique calling. So the question we answered last week for everybody who was here is, who is Jesus to you? We talked about who Jesus was. We talked about some things that were told about uh, throughout the world or maybe some things we heard in church about who Jesus is. But literally we found out and we talked through Jesus being our Lord and Savior. Like when we get to heaven, that's what, that's what God's going to ask us is who is Jesus to you? And he's our Lord and Savior. And we said, well, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, we have to live out a life of being disciples who make disciple makers. Right? So that's a quick review of kind of where we were last week and where we're going this week because another Jesus we've heard about is this vagabond Jesus. How many folks remember, like, I got my Jesus sandals on? Does anybody remember those? Like, you know, well, well Jesus walked everywhere he went. That was what you always heard as a teenager when you wanted to drive the car, right? Like, well, Jesus walked everywhere he went. But you see, the thing is, so many times we like to build this up that Jesus was this homeless vagabond Jesus who ate out of trash cans, going from town to town, setting up seminars where he gave these hallmark platitude talks and he got everybody wild up and he just did a few things for some poor people, right? Like how many folks heard Jesus being taught that way? 
I know I did. If I'm completely honest, I did. But that's not the God we serve. Jesus always went somewhere. So let me ask you this as we talk about this thing about the right intention. Remind me, was there ever a time in the New Testament where Jesus asked for directions? Did he not know where he was going everywhere he went? He always knew where he was going. It wasn't like he stopped and said, hey, Peter, uh, where do I need to take the next turn on the GPS? No, no, no. He always knew, even in the middle of the storm, even in the middle of the crowds coming, even when somebody was out in the middle of nowhere to him, he knew exactly where he was. And so today, that's what I want to unpack for us as we talk about the right intention. Webster's defines intentionality this way. The fact of being deliberate or purposive. Maybe I said that wrong. Purposive. I'm going to roll with that. If I didn't, it's okay. It's a real word. I didn't think it was either. I tried to pick a different one. But intentionality, being deliberate or purposive. So everywhere Jesus went, his intent had a purpose. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going. Even if it was just for one person, he always went there. And so for us, we say, well, how do we live a life of, that's deliberate and, and is purposive? How do, we, how do we live this life of intentionality well, you're going to be a little frustrated with me, but it's okay. We're going to camp out in Matthew 25. If you're already there, flip a few pages over. This verse you may know by heart, but you will by the end of this series. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tells us exactly how we live a life of, of purpose and intentionality, of being deliberate. And it says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Now, I threw a low in there. That's that King James coming out of me. I'm sorry. But he says, and surely I'm with you always until the end of the age. So we read out of the NIV here. But I want to tell you, if you want to live a life that's deliberate, you want to live a life of intentionality, we're called to go and make disciples. No matter what. Baseline as a Christian, that's what we're called to do. But here's the thing. A lot of times we didn't learn about Jesus that way, did we? Because the Holy Spirit has to move, absolutely. The Holy Spirit is at work all around us. God is at work all around us. But when I read that verse, do I see Jesus commanding the Holy Spirit to make disciples? Do I see Jesus commanding pastors to make disciples? Do I see Jesus commanding teachers to make disciples? Coaches to make disciples? All of us. As children of God are called to make disciples. If we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are called to go and make disciples. But let's just be real in the elephant in the room, seriously. It's hard to talk to people about Jesus, isn't it? Like, especially if Jesus tells you to go up and talk to that person. Because you start making every excuse in the world like, oh, they got a Florida Gators jersey on, like, oh. I know they need salvation, like, or maybe, maybe, maybe it's, oh, they love that color, they wear that color all the time, I don't know. Oh. They talk in like, as in Old English, and it's doth, doth, thou, you know, like, it's just something like, you'll have everything in the world to not talk to them about Jesus. You'll talk to them about sports, talk to them about the weather, talk to them about your car, everything but Jesus, Right? Does anybody else feel how awkward that is sometimes to have that conversation? Especially if they know you. Like, if they know you know you. Like, you know, even, maybe they changed your diaper. Like, they know you know you. Isn't it hard to talk to people about Jesus? But you see, the thing is, so many times we'll make that excuse. We'll say, 
man, you know what, where I work, it's just really hard to talk about Jesus. I just kind of want to keep my faith private. Does anybody feel that way? Right? We want to keep it private. But here's the thing I know. Jesus hung naked on the cross for the sacrifice of our sins, and he went public. And if he could do that for us, then we can go public. And I can tell you, it's hard. I will tell you, as a pastor and a realtor, if I walk in to show someone a house, and the first thing I tell them is I'm a pastor, the wall's up. They don't want to talk to me about anything. So Jesus allows me to be a realtor that is a pastor, but I'm a Christian who just happens to be a realtor and a pastor, to be honest with you. But so many times where we can get is we think that that's hard, but Jesus went public. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not that you want to keep your faith private. You say, man, I just don't have the strength to do it. Like, I can't shepherd this person. I can't walk with them step by step. So if I can't do that, then there's no way to do it. And, it may, and I'm just one person. What difference could I make? If you're stuck in that lie, I just want to tell you this. In Acts 2, we celebrate that Acts 2 church where 3,000 were added and the Holy Spirit fell down. Like, that's something we all enjoy. But you know what? You know what was in that room? 120 people. You know what happened out of those 120 people? Within 300 years, over half of the known world knew who Jesus Christ was. Half. There are 2 billion people right now who profess Jesus as their Lord and Savior on this planet. Over 7.5 billion that are here. 15,000 born every hour on this planet. Only 26% of the world know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. What an opportunity to be alive. I know some folks will look at that and say, oh, it's so doom and gloom. But seriously, this is what the saints prayed for. If you were to go to Isaiah and Jeremiah, you go to Joshua, you go to all these folks, they were praying for this opportunity, for there to be so many people that are born into the world who don't know Jesus that we get the opportunity to point to him. Oh, my goodness, guys, we have an opportunity not to keep things private, but to go out there and boldly do things. So let me ask you this. Maybe you're struggling with this because I struggled with it forever. I'm not going to lie to you. I've struggled with this before. So you're in the same boat. How many of us would agree that cancer is bad? All of us. Now, we have folks in this room, in this church, that have got to ring the bell by God's grace for cancer. We all have family. There's not one of us who haven't been touched by cancer, and someone has either in remission or has unfortunately succumbed to it. However, let me ask you this. Do they ever say that there's a cure? It's only in remission, right? You have to keep going back. You have to keep checking up. So imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine if there were 50 cancer patients who met every week. They broke bread together. They knew about each other's lives. They invested in each other. And they found the cure for cancer. Now imagine if those 50 people, after they found the cure for cancer, they are no longer cancer survivors. They are, they are, they are cured from cancer. They're not identified as cancer anymore. They were former cancer patients. They continued to meet every week. They continued to break bread. They sang worship songs. They thanked in celebration about how great it was to be cancer-free. They even dug deep. They looked into the, see what caused the cancer. They found the genetic makeup of what caused the cancer. They found the cure, and they dug deep, and they had serious conversations. But they just kept meeting every week and didn't share it with the world. While hundreds of thousands of people die every year from it. Would we say that those people were faithful? Probably not. Would we say that they were loving? See, this is where Jesus convicted me. Because here's the thing. We would say that about that person, but what we hold is the hope of the gospel. It's so much more important. 
And would we be called faithful and loving if we chose not to share Jesus with the world? We have the very thing the world is searching for. The intent and purpose of our life as a Christian is literally to go and make disciples. And we overcomplicate it. We try to make it this hard, hard thing where we have to have a 12-step plan. And we have to have all this. And it's, it's, it's doing life with people. Yes, that's where the 50 got it right. We miss that in the church so many times is doing life with people. But the difference is the reason we do life with people is we know that God is going to continue to add more people to be a part of his body. And so the question and thing we're going to unpack today with this life of intent is, hey, talk to people about Jesus. Maybe you're not there yet. I'm not trying to press you into something you're not there yet for. Would you agree that Jesus is in this place? He says where two or three are gathered, there I am, right? So another quick poll as we get ready to get to Matthew 2. We got polls today, audience participation day. How many of us have ever been invited to a birthday party and went to it? Right? How many of us have ever been invited to a wedding and went to it? Now, how many of us went to a church? It doesn't even have to be this one. Went to church because you were invited. See how that works? If you invite, people will respond. And believe it or not, what ended up happening at the birthday party is somebody always brought their best gift. At the wedding, somebody always brought their best, best gift. And I will promise you here at Divine Church, you have people here who will always bring their best to point you to Jesus. So we just got to invite we got to point people to Jesus, and maybe it's just a simple invitation to say, man, we got some jam-up breakfast for real, for real. Yeah, I just want you to meet these people. I want you to see people. So we've got to invite, guys. we got to invite. So maybe this week, this is your challenge, and God's pressing in on you to invite someone to be a part of what he is doing. Maybe Jesus has been pressing on you someone you need to be praying for, and we're going to get there here in a moment. But I just want to challenge you as we talk about the right intention and intentionality is that. So today... What we're going to unpack is the three reasons we don't live a life with intentionality. Three reasons we don't live life with intentionality through this very familiar story we know found in Matthew 25. So finally, everyone throwing things at me, it's okay. Finally, Matthew 25, verse 14, we're going to go in this story and you're going to know what it is when we get there. So I just want to go ahead and give you freedom to say, uh, I'm fine, write in your Bible, highlight in your Bible, take notes in your Bible. Jesus isn't going to be mad at you when you write in the Word. But a lot of times when I'm reading this, maybe there's something that points out or sticks out at you. Don't be afraid to highlight or share that. So here we go. Talk about the three reasons why we don't live life with intentionality. Verse 14 says, Again, it will be like a man who is going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and another one bag. Highlight this if you've got this, underlight this in your Bible. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Really quickly, one bag of gold in today's terms is a million dollars of our money. Isn't it great that God's smallest gift is worth more than a million dollars to us? Yeah, if we look there, we might get angry and upset that we didn't get five or two. But I'm going to tell you what, what if somebody just met you in the parking lot today and said, here's a million dollars. Would you be happy? I'd lose my darn mind. I don't know what I'd do. I'd go crazy. We'd all, we'd all have lunch today, y'all. It'd be good. We'd be having a good time, right? So, for real. So, they go, and the man goes on the journey. And I want you to see what's so important here as we talk about living a life of intentionality. 
It says this in verse 16. The man who had received five bags of gold, circle this, highlight this, do whatever you've got to do to see this. The one who received five, who received the most, went at once. He didn't wait. He didn't hold back. He went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. See what happened? When you trust God with what he's given and you go and do the work he's called you to do, yes, we have to have faith, but we have a good work to do. We've got to go out into the world and be a partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing. He went out at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who received one bag went off, dug himself a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. See, we got a choice to make before I give you the first reason we don't live with intentionality. We can either go at once and share the gospel with the world. I don't know if you remember the first time when you were saved and you knew you were saved, how it was so easy to share Jesus, wasn't it? But then all of a sudden, we just started getting complacent. We get comfortable. And what we don't realize we're doing is we're slowly digging a hole of that light he's given us to shine to the world. So the number one reason we don't live a life of intentionality is procrastination. Procrastination. <laughs> I look at it this way. Like, I know when I need to go on a diet. Stop pointing at me. It's okay. Like, I know when I need to go on a diet. Or maybe, maybe so we don't get beat up about our health and, and, and we get beat up about body image. I know when I need to change my oil. How about that, right? I've got alarms, I've got bells, I've got something that counts down. My engine will let me know when I need to change oil. And, and, and there's so many things that happen when I need to do that. But what happens is most of the time I'll say, I'm going to go Wednesday and get my oil changed, right? Wednesday comes. Something comes up. I got to drive all over the place. I got to go do something. And I'll be like, ah, it's just one day. Then one day turns into next week. The next week turns up with a, a blown up engine and all kinds of craziness and chaos, right? Same thing about a diet. So many times what will happen is it'll be Wednesday and I'll say, well, who starts a diet on Wednesday? I'm doing it on Monday. I'm just going to eat all the way to Monday, right? I'm just going to eat till Monday. Then all of a sudden you realize it's November. So I'm not, who goes on a diet in November? It's Thanksgiving. So I'm just going to eat the whole month of November, right? Like I'm just going to go crazy because everybody does that in January, right? We do the same thing when Jesus tells us to do something, don't we? Jesus tells us to, to go out and, and, and talk to that person or, or go and give that money to that person regardless of what we just saw him do in the grocery store or what we just saw him spend it on. He just said, trust me enough to give it to him and watch what I'll do. But yet I fight him on it, man. I want to have procrastination. I'll be like, Jesus, I can do more with my $20 than that, that fool can. Look, he's just going to go buy cigarettes. And he said, you let me worry about that. You just be obedient to what I'm calling you to do. So I'll share a story here uh, <laughs> about this. So, so many times, maybe you right now, and I don't want you to be fearful when it happens because it's real. You may get a text from me to say, I don't know what's going on, but the Lord told me to pray for you. And I know that sounds crazy and I know that sounds weird. And you may think, oh, I don't need that text message. That's a weird text message to get. But seriously, a lot of times I do that because I may not know what's going on in your life. But the spirit will prompt me to pray for you. And, and I'm a big believer in prayer. Prayer matters, guys. So many times we don't go to prayer first. We go to it last. And, and here recently I got to, I'll even share one that we've had here recently, um, was able to send that text out to someone and say, hey, 
I'm praying for you. I don't know what's going on, but I'm praying for you. And they texted back, you won't believe this, but at the exact moment you sent that text, I was dealing with anxiety and, and I was worried about, believe it or not, they're, they're not in here right now because they're leading our spur students because they're awesome. But uh, they were telling me, I've just been anxious all week about this pregnancy. And the moment you texted me is the moment my anxiety went away. And I didn't even know that you, had, you were praying for me. See, our procrastination so many times, we'll hold off and we'll be like, oh, I'll pray for him later. I'll pray for him later. I'll pray for him tonight. Lord, I know it's lunchtime. I'm waiting at Moe's. Like, I don't know why I need to pray. Obviously, I can't eat Moe's right now. But like, I'm waiting at Moe's. Why do I need to pray right now? But believe it or not, had I waited five more hours to send that text message, that person would have went through five more hours of anxiety because I was trying to procrastinate. We're just called to do that, guys. Don't procrastinate. When Jesus prompts you to do something and he calls you to do it, and in prayer you do it, just go and do it. Verse 19 goes on to say it this way. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. <clears throat> All of us are going to have to give an account one day for our life be two questions that are asked who is Jesus to you we answered that last week if we're a child of God if we have given our life to Jesus if we have received him as our Lord and Savior confessed him as Lord of our life he is Lord and Savior second question God's going to ask us is what did you do with that what did you do with my son once you received him did you bury him or did you share him hardest thing in the world is sharing him Good Lord, sometimes it's the hardest thing in the world. But I'm telling you, it's the best thing in the world you'll ever do. Because all that effort you spend burying it, you could have spent sharing it with someone, getting to know someone, and getting to see him do something in them and through you like never before. So understand that all of us have been entrusted with this gift that is the hope of the gospel. We didn't do anything to earn it. We just were able to receive it. And one day the master is going to call us to account for it. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. And he said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied this, well done. Not well intentioned. Not well thought. Not well next week when you get more. Well done. So as we live a life of intentionality, that involves us doing something. And sometimes that's the hardest thing to do is do something, right? Sometimes it is. But I'm telling you, if you'll trust God with what he's called you to give, you're going to do something that's absolutely amazing. So also on side of that, entrusted me. You entrusted me. See, that servant understood it was never his to hold on to. The master never told all these guys, hey, you go put my money to work and you can keep it all. He just said, you entrusted me to something. So he said, you've gained five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags also came and he said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Before we go on to verse 24, let me ask you this. What I see the master saying. He says, come and share. You see, the only reason that those servants got to partake in what God was doing and those servants got to partake in a multiplication that was happening is because they were willing to share. The only way they could experience true sharing with the master is that they were shared sharing what the master gave them with the world. Now, what I want to tell you here that I, I think maybe got left out, and, and the Bible is complete, so hear me out here. This is me before I get the email, because I'm sure I will. Um, before I get that, hear me out. Do you think that that five and two bags person, it just came the next day? Like it just multiplied. Do you not think they probably got hoodooed by some people? They probably got swindled. They probably got taken advantage of. They probably experienced some failures. They probably got rejected on some ends, but they kept going. They kept putting one foot in front of the other. They kept on keeping on, if you will. They kept going. They kept putting one foot in front of the other. They kept sharing what they had. They kept putting it to work. They kept throwing out that. They kept throwing out the master's money. They kept throwing out what was entrusted to them, and it came back. You see, God tells us that if we throw his word out, it won't return void. But so many times we bury it, don't we? We can't do that as Christians, even if it's easy. And if, quite honestly, the thing that we're struggling with in our country right now is that. We don't like to throw out God's word because we're afraid of who we're going to offend. And you know what? Truth offends people. But you get to love people right where they are through the offense. Because all of us are going to get hurt. All of us are going to get rejected. And all of us are going to have circumstances pile up upon us. The difference is those with Jesus will be able to walk through it like never before versus those who are going to keep searching in this world for something that will never satisfy. So we've got to understand, if we want to share in the master's happiness, we've got to share with what he's entrusted into us. Verse 24 says this, And the man who received one bag of gold came. Can you imagine the relief he had at this moment? I imagine he was scared to death, but he had relief because he finally came to account. And he says, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was what? Afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. The second reason we don't live a life of intentionality is fear. That man was afraid. Imagine the whole time this master's on a long journey, the other two are out doing their thing, man. Like, you know, they're working on the, the, the Nordic track or whatever. They're working on the elliptical. They're out there. They're doing their business. They're putting it to work. And this guy, I imagine, is at home sweating bullets, man. <laughs> like, he's at home sweating bullets, hoping that thing that's hidden doesn't leave. I mean, I imagine he probably had cameras all on that one thing. Like, he's got a, he's got a, a, a caution tape and, 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 a, and a, a fence around it, you know, and he, he's got all kinds of stuff. He's just trying to protect that little one thing. He's trying to hide that one thing. You know, maybe right now there's that one thing you got in your life that Jesus died to set you free from. Maybe there's that sin you're struggling with, and it's buried so hard. We talked about confession and repentance the other way. It's buried so hard that you're just, oh, man, you're just ringing if they find out. Oh, my gosh, if they find out. We, we weren't made to live that way, guys. What Jesus is telling us in this story is the things that we bury 
and aren't brought to light are the things that can't be healed, are the things that can't be multiplied. And we aren't called to live in fear. But here's the one thing I want to tell you. We also aren't aren't called to act like we aren't afraid of things. How many of us like thunderstorms? Few of us do. How many of us are afraid of thunderstorms, right? How many of us are afraid of bees? How many of us are afraid of llamas? Had to do something, right? So like the thing that we're afraid of will drive us, will it not? It will drive us. It will try to control us. And that is nothing but a lie from the pit of hell, the thing that we're afraid of. Because the thing, the difference is between us and those who don't have Jesus is we understand if we have Jesus and we're afraid, we can face it with faith that we have in him and we don't have to walk through it alone. We don't have to walk through it alone. Those that don't have Jesus are going to try to figure it out on their own, aren't they? That's, that's where the drug comes in. That's, that, that's where the addiction comes in. That's where everything in this world that can try to satisfy comes in. But the one thing that can is Jesus. So I want to tell you, I, I want you to hear me out here. When you're living a life of intentionality, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be afraid. It just means that when you are walking through these fears of llamas that it seems we all have, or camels, uh, that fear that we really have, that we don't have to walk through it alone. That's the difference. And that's what the world will see. That's when the, that's when the, the job loss comes in, and you're not afraid. That, that's when the medical diagnosis comes in, and you're not afraid. You've got fear. You're like, oh, my goodness, did I do everything I needed to do? But then you're just like, I'm either going to wake up or here I'm going to wake up in heaven. But either way, I know when I wake up, I'm going to be better than I was when I went to sleep for this procedure or for this thing, right? That's where all of us can be. So here's the thing. When it comes to this intentionality, and I'm saying we don't live it because of fear, I know we have some smart people in the room. I believe it. And the reason I know is because I ain't the smartest person, (laughs) and I get to stand up here. So I know there are some people smarter than me in the room, and there are some people right now that you know God's given you a next step, and you've been afraid to take it. Don't be afraid anymore. You've got a church that's going to rally around you with that next step, whatever that is. Take it. Don't live in fear. Don't bury it, because when you bury it, the rest of the world can't see Jesus in a new way. They absolutely can't see him move. They can't see him do what only he can do. So maybe God's called you to a next step in your finances. He's called you to a next step in your relationship, your career. Maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe serving, whatever that is. Maybe it's a friendship. What if we could just rally around each other and say, this is what God's called me to do and didn't have to walk in fear of telling people what God's called us to do. Because so many times when I look at the prophets in the Old Testament, I look at the people in the Old Testament before Jesus came, that's where they were. Because they knew, like, when I tell people I'm a prophet of God, (laughs) there's going to be some crazy stuff happen. But then Jesus came, he made a way for us, and he said, hey, in this world you're going to have tribulation. (laughs) Guess what? I'm promising you that. Don't be afraid. Trust me. So today, I just don't want you to operate in fear. Because it would be crazy to get to the end of our life Wouldn't it just be crazy to get to the end of our life and regret it because we live for the approval of others or live for the approval of being liked or live for the approval of the job or live for the approval of the title or live for the approval of the bank account? Wouldn't that just be a terrible life to live? In the moment, we don't think it. But I'm telling you, when I get to the end of my life, 
I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to do everything I can, even through the ups and downs, even through the mistakes. And trust me, I mess it up all the time. And I'm telling you, Jesus is faithful. He'll still provide opportunities. He'll still provide ways to do it. So I just want you to know, don't bury your talent, as it said in the New King James Version. This isn't called the bags of gold. It's called the talent, the gift. Don't bury it. Share it with the world. Don't live in fear. Verse 26 goes on to say it this way. His master replied to the one who had the one bag, you wicked, lazy servant. We have to fight the battle like it depends on us, but have the faith that it depends on God. Because it does. He's already won it, but we've got to go into the battle with all we've got. The one who buried that one, all he had was fear. And it didn't get him anywhere. So he goes on to say, remember those cancer patients? We said they were pretty lazy, right? This is what I would say to those 50 cancer survivors who didn't share it with the world. You wicked, lazy people, why would you not do that? You even know the makeup of it, but instead you just want to dive into your book, know it deeper, and sing songs about it, and yet you could have shared it with everyone. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have at least put my money on deposit with the bankers. Uh, put it on deposit with the bankers. Sorry, it's a tough one. Uh, tough time, interest rates, just putting it out there. So, time stamping today. Uh, put, it on the, put it on deposit with the bankers so that I would have returned and you would have received back interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. You ever just get frustrated about that? That might be a you asked for it question right now. Why is it that I'm following God and I'm poor? Why is it I walk through that, right? Why is it that I struggle? But yet they don't and they, and, and, and they have and I don't. Well, it's, it's right here. Whoever has will receive more. It's okay. Rain falls on the wicked and the, and the blessed. Rain, rain falls on the saint and the sinner. Falls on all of us. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from him. What he's trying to tell you is if you don't share what God's given you with the world, he'll even take that away from you. So if you thought you had a little bit, if you can't trust God, I mean, this is such a tithing message, it's not even funny, but I'm not, doing, I'm not going down that road. You know I don't, I don't talk about percentages or numbers. If you think that God can't do more with your $1 than you can with 50 in the bank, you're crazy. You're crazy. Trust him. Take him at his word. And he says this about that servant. Throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The third way we don't live a life of intentionality is this. And I know this isn't grammatically correct, so hang in here with me. Misunderstanding God. We misunderstand God. You see, God is at work all around us. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit, and he does it through his church, which are other people, through the Bible, through prayer, through the circumstances in our life, all the time. But yet so many times, this guy with one misunderstood, he thought he was just given this one bag so he could just give it right back. Sometimes we can do that, can't we? We can misunderstand what God's called us to do. And it's not the end. The difference was if that one who had one bag would have just been, instead of saying the excuse 
of, Master, I knew you were such a terrible, pulling his best Ric Flair, you know, white hair popping. He was just praying, you know, before he's about to get hit, right? I just knew you were such a wicked, lazy, sir. I'm just, I just knew you were so hard and you were just going to be so mean to me. That's not the God we serve either, guys. He's righteous. <laughs> he's fair the way he wants to be fair. And he's jealous for us. He loves us. And he will make us give an account. Yes. But at the same time, instead, when we mess up and we misunderstand God, we just want to keep burying things. And we just got to keep going to work every day. Getting up. Making today better than yesterday. Following Jesus closer today than I did last night. And then tomorrow I'm going to follow him even closer as long as he lets me. Because either I'm going to wake up in heaven or I'm going to wake up my two feet are going to hit the ground. And I'm going to do everything I can to give his name the most fame. And I'm going to try to grow in him. But what ends up happening is the difference between the five and the two and the one was they misunderstood what God is doing. What God called them to do. So I want to make this clear. Don't misunderstand what God is calling us to do at the vine. We aren't doing church for us just today. We're doing church for those vine kids, grandkids, if you know what I'm saying. We are going to trust God with what he's entrusted us with. It's not just for today, it's for them because they're going to change the world for Jesus. They're going to show more people Jesus than we ever could because last time I checked, the population just keeps going up. 15,000 births an hour, can you believe that? Around the world. 15,000 opportunities for people to be connected to the body, to be exactly who he created them to be. 15,000 people living, breathing Jesus. Man, oh man. He did it through 120 in Acts 2. If you think he can't do it through us and he can't do it through them, you're crazy. So I want you to know here, God has called us and he's entrusted us with this gift that is the gospel. And we'll stop at nothing to share it with the world. Absolutely nothing. So... I'm not a parent, that's why the world's still spending, but parents will understand this when you misunderstand things. Have you ever just, have your children ever misunderstood you? Parents, anyone? Like, doing your homework is different than getting it done correctly. Like, maybe that's just one, right? Like, like turning in your test is different than answering everything on the test, right? Cleaning your room <clears throat> is different than shoving everything under the bed. Uh, different, right? Right. Just so you can go outside and play. Like we can be misunderstood so many times as parents. You can be misunderstood so many times. But the thing is, let me ask you this: Did your love for that child ever change when that happened? In the moment, just a little bit. But outside of that moment, did it ever change? The power that we have with Jesus as our Lord and Savior is over 170 times in the Gospels. He referenced God as his Father revolutionary never had anyone had a relationship with the creator of the universe like that before Jesus came yet if we hold it to ourselves, we're just trying to put on a good show where we hide everything under our bed and hide our mess the only way to get that mess cleaned up is what get all that crap out <laughs> start throwing it out organizing, donating, doing everything you got to do. That's how we got to live our life. And that's not the easiest thing, is it? Because somebody going to see my mess. Oh, my goodness, right? I'm, I'm guilty. We're all guilty. But as, as, as I just said, with parents and children understand, God's not going to love you any less when you misunderstand him. You've just got to go before him and let him know. Maybe I heard you wrong, Jesus. Maybe I was on the wrong channel. Maybe my frequency was messed up. 
Maybe I let myself get in this more than you. We've got to understand that we can't live a life of intentionality if we don't know what God's called us to. So that brings us to 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 and 9. And it says this. If you've got your Bible, we're going to flip there. I'm going to flip there. Y'all know that's how I roll. I like to get my Bible to you. So you get there, 1 Timothy 4. Jeopardy music, if you will. Copyright. Okay. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 through 10 says this, as we're living this life of intentionality. And this is not my excuse for not dieting. So let me just go ahead and put this out there, okay? My diet's been a little crazy here recently, but for real. This doesn't mean that you can be fat and lazy. This just means there's something that's a bigger picture. And it says this, 1 Timothy 4, verse 8 through 10, as we live this life of intentionality, we just learned the three three reasons, there are multiple more, but three reasons why we don't. But here's how we can live a life with the right intention. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Guys, we have to share that hope with the world. We don't labor and strive for our name to be in shining lights. We don't labor and strive to say, I gained five more bags and you only gained two. We don't try to look at numbers and say we're better than you, that we do church better than you, that we know the Bible better than you, we pray better than you, or we sing better than you. We have better creative arts than you. We have a better program than you. That's not what God's called us to. And it's time for churches to stop that crap. The reason 26% of the world knows that is that. We're in competition with each other, and we got to flip the script, y'all. The right intention is to go out into all the world. So hear me out as we're talking about these things. When you go out and share Jesus with someone, and you invite them to the vine, and they say no, there are 650 other opportunities for them to grow and be a part of the body inside of this county that they can see Jesus in a new way. Don't give up. Don't stop at that. Understand living a life with the right intention is we have to show the world the hope we have. And that means we got to go through some trials. That means we got to walk through fear. That means we got to act when we're called to act. Even if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and the Spirit prompts you to pray for somebody, pray for somebody. Shoot them a text message if you need to right there. Trust me, they're up. You may not think they are, but trust me, they're up. Shoot them a text and say, I don't know what's going on in your life, but God just told me to pray for you. Watch what he does. Watch what he does in you. And then when they come back to you and say, you will have no, you are an answered prayer. You have no earthly idea. So that is why we have to labor and strive as we live a life with the right intention. So that's what we're going to walk through for the word today. I'm going to do my best to tell a story. I should have pulled a chair up here. I got a a story I want to share with you, and I'm going to try to hold it together during it. So if I don't, it's okay. Uh, But uh, Robert Morris is the pastor of Gateway Church. Uh, I've read read The Blessed Life by him. If you've ever read The Blessed Life, it's a great book. It's one of the reasons why we steward what God's given us, uh, has entrusted us with tithes and offerings and and what he's called us to do. but he is the founding and senior pastor of Gateway Church down in Dallas. So he is a Cowboys fan, bless his heart. So that being said, uh, there's a story that he shares 
And it's going to take a minute for me to get there, so hang in here with me. He has a grandfather named Joe, Joe Morris. All right, so Joe Morris grew up his life, and he worked putting asphalt in potholes. Who would want that job? <laughs> Not I, but it's a full-time job in South Carolina, right? Just saying. <laughs> full-time job, ain't it? His friend Ray Alexander, every day that they put asphalt in potholes, used to tell him about how Jesus is the only thing that could fill his life. And he said, Joe, I want to invite you to dinner, and I want to really unpack what this is about the Bible, and I want to talk to you about Jesus. Will you come to dinner to my house? Joe reluctantly said yes, but he said, only if my 16-year-old son, that is Robert Morris's father, can drive me. It's been a long day at work, and, and I just want him to drive me. He's learning how to drive. This was back in the day when you had to learn how to drive shift, uh, stick shift, right? And so his 16-year-old father drives Joe, Robert's grandfather, there. And they have dinner, and they do what most people do, which is honestly what we celebrate in Hallmark movies now. After dinner, they went on the front porch. They sat a spell. Uh, and they, Ray unpacked the gospel. He, he, he unpacked what Jesus is, why Jesus is here. And he asked Joe right then and there, he said, do you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Joe said an emphatic no. <laughs> Are you crazy? The only time Robert's father had ever heard Jesus in his house is with a cuss word on the back end of it, right? Like never heard of Jesus before that. And so Joe tells him no. And so Ray Alexander, the guy who works with Joe, Robert's grandfather, said, well, if you ever do, here's the prayer to do it. And he walks him through confessing Jesus with his mouth that he is Lord and believing in his heart that he died and rose again the third way, or third day, excuse me, and how he is the Lord and Savior of his life. Well, little did Ray know, Robert Morris's father prayed to receive Jesus that night on the front porch steps, but he was too afraid to tell anyone because he knew his dad would be mad because his dad said no. So Robert Morris goes on. Obviously, we're going to fast forward, and he is born. <laughs> not that year, not as a 16-year-old, so thank God's purse in there. But uh, he goes on, and he is born, and he lives a life as an addict. He meets Jesus in a hotel room after an all-night binge, and he becomes a traveling evangelist. And if you've ever read The Blessed Life, it's a great book. I would recommend pick. It's an easy read. You probably can read it in a day or two. Uh, it's a great book. But Robert goes, and God calls him to start Gateway Church in Dallas. And he's getting ready to start this church, and God just burdens him about his grandfather. His grandfather's in his 80s, and he's like, man, I, God, I don't know. He's 80. Like, he's set in his way, and I don't talk to him about Jesus much, but, I mean, he knows me. Like, he knows me. <laughs> he, he's gotten me out of situation after situation. But God wouldn't let it go, so he said, all right, God, if you'll create the opportunity for me, I'll talk to him about it. Well, you can guess what happened. They had a family reunion the next week uh, after he started having this extreme burden, and they got to sit down in the living room, and his grandfather goes up to him and says, Robert, his grandfather Joe, Robert, I've been thinking about death. I want you to tell me what happens when I die. Can you help me unpack that? Because it was a conversation I had 40 years ago on the front porch with a guy named Ray. And I haven't forgot about it in 40 years. And I'm just wondering if it means something. And so that day, 
Robert Morris led his grandfather to Jesus, his grandfather Joe, to Jesus. And believe it or not, his grandfather Joe only lived about two more years after that. But as he got to hear that story about Ray Alexander, he started to be burdened about Ray Alexander. And he was like, is this guy still alive? And so what he did is he went and he called directory assistance 411, if you don't know. That was before the interwebs back in the day because he found out Ray Alexander lived in Oklahoma and they're in Texas. So he finds Ray Alexander's number and he calls up Ray and I'm just kidding. <laughs> I can't do the ring. Whatever, you've got a ringtone that way. Uh, and so we can't even flip up it. But he picks up the, Ray picks up the phone and Robert Morris says, is this Ray? And he says, yes. And he said, well, you don't know me, but my grandfather is Joe Morris. Do you remember Joe Morris? And Ray Alexander said, I've been praying for him every day for 40 years. He said, well, I'm his grandson. And he tells him I'm a traveling evangelist. And, and I want you to know that the seeds you planted made a difference because thousands of people are coming to know Jesus through Gateway Church. And, and, and my father met Jesus on your front porch that night. And, and Ray is excited. And he was like, man, that is so awesome. And he said, but here's the thing I wanted to call you and tell you. My grandfather received Jesus last week because of the seeds you planted 40 years ago. And he hears the, the tears of joy coming through the phone from Ray. And he stops and he, he takes a breath and he said, everybody I've shared the gospel with in my 40 years of life that didn't say yes, I wrote their name in the back of my Bible. And there are a hundred names in my Bible, and there was one name left. And when I hang up this phone, I'm going to get to put a check mark beside Joe Morris's name, and I'm going to ask God for one more before he takes me home. Ray didn't live much longer after that. Obviously, Grandfather Joe passed away. But the reason I tell you that is, listen, I remember story after story of my father story of my father from my grandmother and my mother saying every night he went to bed on his knees and said, God, whatever it takes for my family to know you, do it. And when he left this earth, more of his family was far from God than close to God. And everyone he prayed for at that time knows Jesus as their Savior. And now they have kids who are learning about Jesus as their Savior. So the reason I'm sharing this story with you today is fine. What if we became the church that prayed specifically by name for Jesus to do what only he could do in people's lives, even if it takes 40 years? What if we were the church that did that? Because believe it or not, those churches exist. All of us have one person, and maybe you don't have a one, and you're frustrated right now, and you're saying, I don't have a one. Ask Jesus to open your eyes to the one. Because there's no coincidence why you work with the people you work with, you go to school with the people you go to school with, why the people in your family are in your family. It is no coincidence. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're the light. You're the light to them. So ask God to show you that one. What if we were the ones that wrote the names in the Bible and 40 years later we got to the end of our life and when we got to give an account, we not only got to celebrate, we got to say, man, like we're waiting in line in heaven and, and Peter's checking those names off when we get at the gates and we are just be like, I'm before you in the buffet line. But at the same time, like it was because I met you on this earth, you get to be here in line with me. Like uh, they're not going to run out of mac and cheese, but I'm going to get to taste it first. Like, right? You know, so like you see them. Imagine the difference in your life and the joy and the celebration and the thankfulness 
of that person because you took the time to say, this is who Jesus is to me. Who is he to you? We can be that church. And so I would say maybe you've got your one. Shoot me an email. Shoot me a text. You can email prayer at thevine.tv. You can text me personally or you can email me personally. My te- you can text me at 864-706-9634. You can text the church at 864-580-6698. I would love to know your one because I want to join you in praying for your one. I imagine Ray Alexander all those times was praying for that one. He probably felt all alone. He probably felt like nobody else cared. God, like, I just want these people to meet you. God, I just want them to know you as their Lord and Savior. And he probably felt like he was the only one praying for it. Imagine what happens when we pray for it together. Even if that person lives in the Philippines. Imagine what could happen, church. So if you've got your one, send it my way. Because I would be, I'm going to be honest with you, I bet some of us right now are pretty darn discouraged because we've got a one. We've got a one. And uh, we've been praying for him for years. We shared the gospel with him. We've led them in the prayer. We've tried to love them right where they are. Like, you're saying, God, you call me to love God, love others. Like, I'm doing everything I can. Would you please just let them see you? And we're probably either frustrated or we're probably on the verge of giving up. And I just want to tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. I'm standing here today because somebody didn't give up on me. Don't give up. Don't give up. Prodigals will come home. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because the thing is, Ray didn't get to lead Joe to Christ. God knew Robert would when Ray shared that 40 years earlier. What if you are just planting the seed? How amazing would that be? And I want to tell you, if that's you, don't grow discouraged. Because when I look at this story of Ray, when I look at my father's story, when I look at Ray's 100 names, would you say that was a harvest? Now, to the rest of the world, it's only 100 people. Man, he only knew 100 people. No. Even if it's just two in that Bible, that's two more than anybody else. Would you trust that? Because I believe if we love folks, we care where they spend eternity. We care. I, I believe that with all of my heart. We care. And it's not up to us to save them. Jesus did that. They have to, by faith, receive him. But that doesn't mean we can't do everything we can to point them to him and love them right where they are. When they make that crazy, stupid decision, when they trust that person they shouldn't trust, when they do what they shouldn't do, we can still be with them step by step pointing them to Jesus. So church, today, when you came in, you've got a couple of things in your chair that'll help you. Maybe you say, I don't know how to share Jesus with people. Well, in your chair, two things. Last week, and I was called out on it, and I should have been, and not in a bad way, I started my, my, my story about VBS that I love and the color and the bead bracelet. That's not what I have for you today, but maybe you struggle with that. There's a bookmark in your chair, uh, and it has all the colors, and it's the plan of salvation. If you ever did those beads, I love that at VBS. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, we're not going to make those today because there'd be beads everywhere and we'd be going crazy. And they're a choking hazard for me, you know, because I, I struggle. That's why. I, it's a choking hazard. But the one thing that I had for us that may help you is there's this thing. So I'm going, I'm bringing it back. So when I grew up, there were two things in my youth group. Uh, 
what would Jesus do? And I wore that thing all over the place. I wore it when I played football, and it stunk. I'm not going to lie to you. It was terrible. It's a... People are like, what would Jesus do? Wash that bracelet because it stinks. Like, seriously, that's what Jesus would do. Like, we have that. Or we have these little bracelets. Uh, and, and I didn't get to wear this one as much, but I'm bringing it back. And it's called a witness band. Now, it would be really funny if we had a band up here called Witness. That's what I was worried about is there was going to be a band called Witness. But this is called a witness band. And maybe you struggle with sharing Jesus with others. And this is just a little conversation starter. It's just a little conversation starter. So we're going to show you the symbols of this on, on, the, on the screen here. It should be what your witness band is. And it's simple. We unpack this every week. See, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he created man, we were in a right relationship with him. Everything was right the way it should be. But man was deceived by Satan and was told in rebellion, the thing that you can't have is the thing that you want the most. So why don't you go get that? And because of that rebellion and that turning our back on God, we are born spiritually dead. We are born not in a right relationship with the very creator of the universe. But it doesn't end there. God loved us enough that he made a way. So the down arrow is Jesus came down in human form for each and every one of us because he wanted to make a way for us to the Father. And the way that he made a way for us is he lived a life we couldn't live, a perfect life, that would give us a relationship with the very creator of the universe. But he loved us enough not to stay dead. He rose again on the third day. So that's your next two symbols. The cross is Jesus paying the price, dying for our sins that we couldn't pay. After he's lived the life we couldn't live. The empty tomb, the empty tomb is him going in there for three days, being raised by the Holy Spirit, not staying dead, knowing that the Holy Spirit's going to come down on us so that we could have power and be empowered to do what he's called us to do. And then you have, you have him going back to heaven. That's when the Holy Spirit came down. So in other words, Jesus came. He died on the cross. If you can see, you can cheat, cheat here. Look, look, it's on the other side. He came. He died. He arose. He ascended to heaven. So, so many folks would say, story's over. He ascended to heaven, right? So, story's over. But you see, we know it's not because one day he's going to come back to bring us all home. And when we do, we get to give an account because not only do we get to live in a right relationship now, this is just the pregame party. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the pregame. This is setting up for what eternity will look like. When we get to be the church and we get to show people him, that's what it's about. So, I'm going to walk through it one more time. Maybe you struggle with this. God loved us enough that he sent his son down. That's your down arrow. Jesus came. He lived a life we couldn't live that was perfect. But the only way we could be in a right relationship with God is not only living a perfect life, something had to die as a sacrifice for our sins. So Jesus loved us enough that he died on the cross for our sins. Make sure I'm giving you the right verbiage here. Then he goes to the tomb for three days and he arose after the third day. And he walked on the earth, appeared to over 500 witnesses for 40 days, told us about, well, that, about heaven to come, told us the Holy Spirit was going to come down, and he actually even promised that greater things we would do than he did if we would just have faith to believe it. How crazy awesome is that? Then he ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of God to say, hey, I'm going to come back one day, and I'm going to bring you all home. So... If you struggle with that, it's a conversation starter. If you need to cheat, it's on the back end. If that don't work for you, you've got some colored beads. Uh, that one in there, I believe, is added in there. I might have left one color off, and that's the blue one. 
Nope, it's got the blue one on there. So I was going to say, just make sure baptism, that's the blue one. But uh, if you struggle with that, maybe you can walk down that. You could walk down the Romans road with someone. Folks, talks about, folks talk about that, and that's basically what that is, is walking down the Romans road. But the thing is, the thing that we have to share with the world is too important not to share it with the world. We as Christians have to stop making excuses. Doesn't mean we need to be on a street corner with a megaphone shouting everyone down, telling them they're going to hell for going to a wrestling event or a, a certain concert. No. We love them right where they are. And in that, we can point them to him. Because I'm willing to bet if Ray beat up on Joe all the time when they were filling potholes, that Joe would have never went over to that house. Ray would have never got that opportunity. But instead, he loved him right there. And he continued to work with Joe all those years before they retired. All those years he worked with Joe. Knowing Joe wasn't going to heaven until he gave his life to Jesus. He still loved him right where he was because he understood it wasn't up to him for salvation. It was just up to him to point him to Jesus. So today, maybe that's where you stand and maybe that's where you're struggling. I want to put tools in your hand to say as your pastor, I don't ever want you to be in a place to where you feel like you can't do this because I want to tell you, you can. I'm standing up here telling you, if I can do this, you absolutely can do this. You just got to see who God's put on your heart and trust. And that person right now that's pressing in, I'd love to know who it is. Shoot me that text message. Shoot me that email. I would love to pray. We have a prayer team here, our power plant team. We would love to pray over every name. Our sowers, we have what's called sowers here at the Vine Church because we believe in sowing seeds for a harvest to come. They would love to pray over those names. Imagine, church, if we prayed over names and we got to check those off one by one by one. If you think our celebration would be good, Imagine what those angels in heaven are doing, losing their mind. So I share with you this hope today to say, I literally just told you through this witness band who Jesus is and why we need him. But maybe in your life, you're living in fear and you're living in procrastination and it's because you've misunderstood who God is. And this is your opportunity because the reason we do what we do every week, like I said, isn't for us to look great or for us to feel good or for us to have a Hallmark platitude card that just makes us feel so great and warm and fuzzy. That isn't what we're here for. We're here to point people to Jesus. And so maybe right now the Holy Spirit is moving in you and you're realizing you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that your whole life you've forgotten or you don't know who God is. Like you thought God is this distant figure that's just out there that's just waiting to catch you do something bad or is just someone who doesn't love you or someone who didn't make a way and somebody who's just telling you everything that you're not supposed to do instead of realizing the freedom of him giving you everything you were created to do when you're giving your life to him. And so right now, I just want to share with you this simple, these simple verses, and then we're going to pray. And it's not the words of the prayer that gets you saved. It's the faith. It's the faith. And these verses sum it up so well. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says this. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. 
It's both and, church. You got to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. It's not one or the other. You have to have both because that's how you declare Jesus is Lord and Savior. So with every head bow and every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me for the benefit of those who are coming to Jesus for the first time. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again so that I may have life. Come take over my life. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. And if that's you and for the first time you can say that you have given your life to Jesus, I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to respond. One, two, three. Three. If that's you and you can say that you've given your life to Christ, if you're watching online, there's going to be a hand that's raised that you can click. Or if you're watching on Facebook or listening by podcast, you can respond to us at prayer at TV or shoot us a text message or phone call at 864 580 We have folks who want to celebrate with you because you've made the best decision of your life. The difference is we want you to know you're not only walking through it, you're not going to walk through it alone. We want to walk through it with you. And for everyone else, we're about to, you can go ahead and lift your head. We're about to have a song of worship, and we're going to be singing about walking through a crazy season maybe in our life. And I just want you to know, wherever you are, Jesus is with you. Don't operate in fear. Don't operate procrastination. Ask God what his will is for you and what he's calling you to do. And I'm telling you, it's to go and make disciples, and he'll show you who he's pointing you to. So get ready to worship with us.
All right, all right. Uh, Y'all know how we do it each and every week. Uh, Let's lock it up and let's pray. And we're going to get ready for next week as we talk about the journey and relationships as we continue to unpack the good work. So dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity again. I pray that each and every one of us, if we already don't know the one you have placed in our path, that we need to be pointing to you. I pray that you would open our eyes to see it. I pray that you would give us boldness to just be you to them. And the hardest thing to do is love someone right where they're at. So Jesus, give us the boldness to love them right where they're at because you did that for us. Jesus, let us not be afraid to point people to you and how we love. Let us not be afraid to invite folks to church. Let us not be afraid uh, just to take a stand for you because in a world that's full of offenses, Jesus, you are the only thing that has overcome everything. So let us point others to you. As we go about this week and we go about this brand new season and this brand new year as a school year comes and as the seasons are about to change, Jesus, let us just remember that we do receive your reign, that you reign down on the good and the evil, Jesus, and that you came for all of us. Remind us what it was like to be without you, Jesus, and remind us of what you saved us from so that we can share that with the world. We love you, Lord. We thank you that we get to be here. We can't wait to continue to celebrate you and how we live our life for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next week. We got a seat saved just for you.